0: So he's over here rehearsing stuff for Wonka, yes, right He's obviously rehearsing and also recording the vocals it's a, It's a musical, right so he's recording the uh the audio the the singing stuff at Abbey Road, which is about half an hour drive from where I live and closer to where Joshua lives actually. but he's doing his rehearsals at the BBC studios, and the reason I know this is because he posted on Instagram, and you've probably seen it, he's lying down on some grass with like an old-looking mid-century sort of glass and metal building behind him. Mm -hmm. That studios (laughs) is basically at the end of my road.
1: I didn't even think about how he's currently in the UK working on Wonka.
0: He is breathing the same air as me. The Starbucks that I sit in all the time, and I'm, I'm a regular, that Starbucks is on the other side of a shopping unit to where the studio is.
2: So Rob <laughs> hasn't left that spot for the past two weeks,
0: basically. I'm so close to Timothy Chalamet without actually being close to him. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, statistically, the two of you are more likely to run into him than, than I will ever have been, because the UK, famously a much smaller country than the United States. So just on pure landmass alone...
2: We're great. We're Great Britain. How very dare you.
1: So, wait, Rob, you said the last Timothy movie you saw in theaters was Beautiful Boy. Did you guys not get The King or Little Women over there?
0: Oh, Little Women. That'd be the last one. Yes, Little okay. Women. That that yeah. came out just before the pandemic, didn't okay. it? Didn't like it. The King came out on Netflix. It didn't come on to... um. Wasn't in the cinema here.
1: So, so, so Little Women, uh, Rob, was your last Timothy. And did you have any movies of his that you hadn't seen that made it into your your lockdown viewing schedule? Uh
0: Rainy Day New York.
1: Okay. Uh Josh, what about you? Were there any uh gaps in your Timothy Chalamet filmography that you got to fill uh during during lockdown? Um
2: I don't think so. I haven't seen a rainy day in New York. I've kind of steered clear of that one. Um and The King, I think I started The King and I just wasn't in the right place to watch something quite that bleak and masculine (laughs) just kind of couldn't handle it so i turned it off
1: i think if nothing else the king was a really great audition Mm, reel for dune 2021 (laughs) because he had he had to prove that he could carry that action on that (laughs) lithe little gangly body uh and they weren't gonna do it unless he they tried him out so they they got an early cut of the king i'm sure and they
2: yeah, I was gonna say, was that the first film that he led?
1: Call me by your name. He is, he is the lead, but he wasn't a name at the time. So I want to say he's like second build under Army Hammer. The King really was his, literally the like the lead. I'm on the poster. I'm top build. The titular role. That he's the. It's the titular role, and uh, I was trying to find a way to say he's the titular role in Dune because I still don't even really understand what Dune is other than the it's full of sand dunes, which maybe that's the point. It's like a
2: nickname, isn't it?
1: (laughs) Is it a a nickname for Arrakis? Is just Dune? Well, what could be a better segue into talking about Dune than introducing (laughs) the episode of Dune? Uh, So hello, welcome to Chasing Chalamet, a once and probably never again bi-weekly podcast that now just comes uh, onto your podcast feeds when there's new Timothy content to talk about, which this weekend, at least in the United States, happens to be the timothy content weekend given that we got not one but two new timothy releases my name is dane mcdonald you know me as a confirmed timothy chalamet stan of the first degree and it you know is it is barely the thing that gets me through my day when i want to give up uh in the midst of our our pandemic lockdown uh crazy world uh he is the one thing that gets me through it uh and it is a show where uh typically myself and a special guest in this case multiple guests deep dive into a selection uh, in the filmography of an Oscar-nominated actor, Timothy Kyle Chalamet. We're very excited to be back. We're very excited to be recording again. You guys have not heard from us uh, since we did a special episode on his SNL performance last year, uh, and it is our first proper film episode since Little Women, which came out uh, before no. we even knew COVID was going to be a thing. It's been a while. Right, exactly. It's crazy. Uh, I feel like I am... You know, I'm the Tin Man coming out of my like rusty state of podcasting. I'm I'm loosening the muscles up again. I'm getting my banter, and we are spraying you
3: with Timmy Chalamet oil. Timmy oil
1: lube me down. I really need it. I need to get limber again. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, so today's episode, uh, as I as I mentioned, we got two new releases this weekend. The first one we're going to be talking about is Denis Villeneuve's 2021 epic science fiction drama. Dune. We're going to be talking about our thoughts, our feelings, any critiques we may have, some praise we may have, uh, really whatever we want to cover. So most specifically, as this is a Timothy Chalamet podcast, we'll be discussing his performance and his role in the film. Uh, he is rather important. Uh, what function does he serve to the story? Is he cast well? What does his participation in this film bring to the table, both for the film itself and his career as it is progressing. Then, on a scale from one to five peaches, we're together going to grade the film in different categories. We're going to talk about the quality of the film. We're going to talk about his performance, his general attractiveness, and most importantly, as always, his hair. Which, this is really exciting, because I know that we've done a few collabs uh, while we were waiting for Dune to come out, which took, you know, forever, plus ten more years after that. But I don't think on our previous episodes we did the peach scale, Josh and Rob. Am I right? Did we do peach scale for Love Action? No, that's new on me. Okay.
0: No, no peaches for uh, crying to Joni Mitchell.
1: <laughs> you can't judge her on the peach scale. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about breaking the peach scale. They just, you just, you can't even grade it. I, I, see, like I'm saying, I'm rusty at podcasting because I'm <laughs> in a famously audio medium. I am reenacting the scene where uh, emma thompson is crying to Joni mitchell by touching the butt of my hand to my face as she as she cries
2: it's beautiful to see though
1: if you're listening you can't see that so now i just have to narrate it uh so now that we've gotten that out of the way i'm so excited to introduce today's guests both hosts the torn stubs podcast one of them is a writer and film journalist the other a photographer and video director please welcome joshua winning and robert gershenson hi guys
2: Hello. Shalom. Good to see you again.
1: How are you guys doing? Yeah, not
0: bad. (laughs) How are you, Rob? (laughs) I am wonderful.
1: Well, before we dive into Dune, which I'm super excited to do, and obviously I'll ask you both to do um, additional plugs at the end, but Josh, you have a book coming out, and I I want the the listeners to hear about it in case they're the types <laughs> to to skip over the end credits and skip all the good promo stuff at the end.
2: <laughs>
1: Tell us about your book while we still have their attention.
2: Okay, thank you very much. Yeah, of course. It's um, I mean, there's definitely a role for Timothy Chalamet in there, like Please. absolutely. Uh, it's a it's like a nostalgic 1980s fantasy called The Shadow Glass. And it's uh, kind of inspired by my love for movies like Labyrinth and the Dark Crystal and The Never-Ending Story. And it's about the son of a, a movie director whose film was a puppet fantasy in the 80s, but it was a massive flop and it basically destroyed his career. And when his son goes to clean out his house after he dies, the puppets all come to life and he has to go on a quest with them to sort of like save their world. So it's sort of modern day contemporary fantasy with movie puppets, quite gory in places, um, but hopefully a lot of fun. And if Timothy wants to uh you know, call me up, there's definitely a role.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Well that sounds absolutely delightful. Nothing delights me more than the idea of Timothy acting uh opposite uh creations from the Jim Henson studio. So I'm just gonna be like manifesting that from now until the end of time, uh, and when? So, Josh, when does that book come out, and how can people people read it once it is available?
2: Uh, it's been published by Titan Books, and it will be out on the twenty second of March, twenty twenty two, and that's simultaneous release in the UK and the US. Uh, it's also going to be an audiobook, so that will be coming out around the same time, if that's your jam. Um, but you can pre-order it anywhere. You know, it's available through Barnes and Noble and depository and amazon and all the regular places um and yeah that's where you can
0: get it amazing people should pre-order support new artists help joshua pay his rent <laughs> <laughs> pre-ordering yeah it's this huge thing
2: like the 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 publish the publishers really take notice of like numbers of pre-orders and stuff and it kind of is a big deal so yeah, amazing. Well, <laughs> i i will
1: I will be pre-ordering my copy as soon as we are off our Google meeting. It sounds so exciting. I will do it through my my local seller.
2: Thank you very much. And actually, no, there is a link to Dune, because there is a character in the book called Dune.
1: Ooh, okay. You didn't want to go. You didn't want to go with Duncan <laughs> Idaho.
2: <laughs> tempted you don't want to go don't with you. shut up nate
1: <laughs> <laughs> well let's get into dune then um i'm excited um hopefully you've already gone over to the torn stubs feed and listened to our episode on david lynch's version of dune from 1984 and now you're tuned in here and we're going to be discussing the new version directed by Denis villeneuve as we've said josh you you reviewed it for a publication did you not
2: i did yeah i reviewed it for radio times who i uh, work oh. for
1: Amazing. Yeah. And and so did, I'm guessing, did you get to go to like an advanced screening or did you get a screener or what was that like?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I went to a, a press screening and I took one of my
0: uh, taggers on along. Which...
2: <laughs> he messaged me.
0: He messaged me saying, what are you doing next Tuesday? And he sent a screen grab of the email inviting Joshua to a film. It didn't have the title in it. And I saw WB and i said well what film and then i saw the w and I was like dune yes 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 a thousand times yes rob never replies in all caps but yes. he did this time oh i couldn't believe it i was seeing it
2: a month early yeah, yeah it was a it was a press screening and it was packed but yeah it was social distance so we had spaces between every yeah. two seats
0: which is delightful because okay. I do not want to be sitting near anybody. We were actually sat in the lover seats, Joshua, weren't we? <laughs> yeah. We weren't sat in single seats. We were sat in a double seat meant we for were... smooching in the back row. Oh, yeah.
3: And this is the perfect movie for that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah.
0: I mean, nothing says romance exactly. more Absolutely. than sandworms Good. and made up words. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Hans Zimmer's music.
3: I mean, I think the sandworms are
1: relatively romantic to a degree. If you like
3: spiky <laughs>
0: bumholes, yes.
1: <laughs> oh, my God so you guys have obviously been able mm-hmm. to sit with the movie a little longer than we have obviously josh having read writ up written up your review you've been able to put pen to paper and think through mm-hmm. through everything that you thought about the film i went to uh so it is we're recording on october 24th a sunday i went thursday night to the first screening i could go to uh will you went friday night correct at your your home regal theater
3: yeah i went on on friday night uh, on a very large screen in the regal not a not an IMAX, but very large, very loud. Um,
2: yeah, it was loud for yeah. us as well. It was yeah. actually almost unbearably <laughs> loud in places. You know, it's, it's good that we were sitting right in the back seat because it was so loud. We have great seats. Mm. We were sat
0: right at the back, central, in a brilliant screen at Picturehouse Central, which is in uh, it's, on, it's on Shaftesbury Avenue. But the sound system in that that's, that screen is phenomenal. And it was loud, but it wasn't obnoxiously loud. It wasn't tenant loud. It was just brilliantly Dune
1: loud. Okay. <laughs> well, let's go. Let's go around and give kind of some initial thoughts and insights, and let's stray a little away from from Timothy, just because we're going to cover him so much more as the podcast goes on. Uh, obviously, feel free to mention him. Uh, but all I can kind of kick us off. Um, the long and short of it is, I loved Dune twenty twenty one. I just was completely immersed in what was happening. I, I think they were probably like the first 20 minutes or so I was like, it's like being thrown in the deep end. And there's like that brief moment where you're just trying to get your bearings and get your head above water and understand what's going on. And kind of once I got through that, I was so plugged into what was happening that I could not even let my mind wander a bit. Um, It was not a situation where I was thinking about what time it is. I was not wanting to look at my phone Um, my biggest concern was getting the story in and then reaching down in front of me to grab another beer out of my bag that I snuck into the theater, uh, when my previous one was gone. (laughs) Um, I loved it. It's far and away my favorite movie of the year so far. Um, Hans Zimmer score, absolutely incredible. Um, I was telling friends after the movie ended that I'm really excited to get, I bought a vinyl copy of it and I can't wait to listen to it because in the theater, the sound design is so overpowering that you can almost... Yeah, and, and that, I don't mean that as a critique. It like it's just so overpowering that at times you're not focused on like the actual melodic content of the score. So I'm excited to actually like listen to it in full. You know, when when I get to the final, or I guess I can listen to it on Spotify now. Um, but Hans Zimmer's score stand out. Um, amazing performances all around, and all kind of let us organically get into that uh, as we go through. But really, the standout per- performance for me, even above Timmy, was Rebecca Ferguson. I was just completely bowled over by what she was doing um the emotional journey she goes on um just I was just captivated by by her her dramatic work yeah and I I, just, I genuinely don't have any critiques at this point I, maybe it needs to sit with me more but um it was it was incredible rob I'll let you let you go next. the
0: thing that struck me the most with dune 2021 is that it's a drama first then it's sci-fi and in the world that we live in now where the marvel films have become so formulaic that when i was watching shang chi and the 10 bracelets i nearly fell asleep towards the end i did that thing that i used to do in like maths where you feel your eyes go then your head goes and then you nod yourself awake i was doing that because marvel films I've, I've been there, I've done that, I know the format, I know the formula and it's always Crash Bang Wallop and then maybe a little bit of Pathos, maybe a bit of emotion with this, they've approached it as if they are making a very tender emotional drama-led independent art film that just so happens to have a $200 million budget and some giant worms and a couple of dunes and some spaceships and some beards. I was completely, completely blown away by it. There's been a lot of talk over the past 18 months about what film will save cinema. Last year, it was all pinned on Christopher Nolan, and then everyone went, no, that's never going to save anything. Can't even save itself. James Bond just (laughs) came out here about a month ago and did some brilliant business and it is a it's so much fun i saw that three times at the cinema but i think the film that is going to define the immediate post-covid return to cinema is dune because it it is so spot on of what i love in cinema i don't care if a film is small i don't care if a film is big i just want a film that tells a story incredibly well and in a visual way and this film is so fucking good-looking. It is such a good-looking film, but it's not imagery for the sake of imagery. Everything ties into the narrative. And that's, that's the Dennyville nerve magic. If, yeah. you look, if you look at all of his films, that's what he does. That's why he was given Dune. And that's why... I mean, I don't give a fuck about the Oscars, but I would imagine if they don't give him the Oscar for Best Director then I think we should all riot. We should all riot and take the Kodak Theatre by force. It is a brilliant piece of cinema. In terms of the music, I want, every time I have a revelation, I want this to play. (laughs) (laughs) Even if it's something as simple as, oh... I've got two loaves of bread in my shopping basket.
3: Oh, wait. I've got
0: a voucher to get one free. Oh. Oh. I love that little thing. If anyone's interested, that is Gom Jabbar on the original motion picture soundtrack. And if you start it at one thirteen, then you can get the... I love it. I love it. I love... That. I also just love that the... the... The music is so infused with sort of an indigenous Middle Eastern flair, mm-hmm. and that completely ties into the themes of the film. Everything—it's like this perfect storm, this perfect mm-hmm. cinematic storm. And there's always a lot of um, there's always a lot of talk around these big budget films that are actually art films, saying it's very Kubrickian. Yes, it is very Kubrickian because it is an art film that just happens to be this big event. I've seen it three times, and I cannot wait to see it fourth. I never see films a fourth time in the cinema on its theatrical run. It's phenomenal. It's just brilliant.
1: could not agree more. Will? Will, what are your initial thoughts?
3: My initial thoughts, um, and this is coming from someone who has read the book, I think that... The design of everything is perfect. The choices made for the houses in Arakin, um, the settings for the way the desert should look in Arrakis, uh, the way the house looks on Caladon, the way the ships look, the, the hot air balloons for the mining drills, perfect. The costuming, the shields. I think the casting heals a lot of ills caused by the 1984 film's sheer audacious whiteness and and I think by diversifying the cast you take a lot of the ills of the exoticism that Herbert has really infused into the book and you you diffuse it into something that is more uh more universal and less With a bit of a a white male gaze towards another culture, I think every performance is really good in this. I think everyone is really doing a lot of good work. Knowing what I know from the book, I think the movie as itself could be better as a piece of science fiction cinema. Because the pacing of it, it doesn't lead to a climactic moment that makes you excited about what's coming next if you don't have some hint about what's coming next. I don't feel like it is exciting enough for Joe Movie Watcher to see Dune and be, I'm excited about seeing the next one. There's a lot to process. There's not a, a leaving the theater with a, oh my God, what's going to happen? What's going to happen next? You you leave with a, Huh? <laughs> I wonder what happens next mm-hmm. st-
1: Well, well I hate to say this but as a queer man if you can't find a climactic ending in Zendaya saying this is just the beginning then I don't know how to help you
3: <laughs> I'm I'm and I think I think part of that for me um, is the fact that I'm like once knowing that this is a part one Sitting in the movie being like, where is he going to end it at? Because the way the plot is set up in in the brick of a book that Frank Herbert made, there's a climactic moment towards the beginning. There's a, climactic, there's a lot of climax that happens at the end. And then there, there, there are peak moments that happen throughout the course of the book. And I'm like, where it ended makes sense. But I thought it was going to end ever so
1: slightly God. later. So maybe there was just a little little expectation game going on.
3: I had an expectation that it would end with him being pronounced Madib and kind of rapturous applause from the Fremen. Mm. And seeing it end with a, oh, okay, it left me wanting. And I, I feel that early in the film, a lot of the kind of sitting in moments on Arrakis, and frankly, the fact that we have a lot of things happening on Caledon that really isn't as much important to the story. We we sit on Caladon a lot. I think it just, um, it's not exciting.
2: I think it kind of ends on a character moment rather than a plot moment. So it ends yeah. on, you know, what's going to happen next yeah. for, for Paul, but it's not like a mm-hmm. kind of ending.
3: I don't need anything that, that's triumphant, but I want something that kind of yeah. stirs something in my tummy so that I'm I just said Tommy. I
2: guess like the end of Kill Bill Volume One when he says, mm. Does she know her daughter's alive? That's a real like, oh shit. Yeah. yeah. Whereas with June, there's no kind of does he know
0: he's got a sister, you know, or well, you know, that kind of thing that
3: happens. And maybe I'm such a Star Wars boy. Kind it's
0: of kind of like the ending of Fellowship of the Ring, where it just goes, Oh, he's in a boat with Sam. Mm-hmm. But there is a sense of adventure there and I get the sense of adventure or the impending mm. sense of mm. the adventure with this Dune part one, because mm-hmm. the sleeper has, if he, he's not fully awake, yeah. he's definitely half awake. He's definitely, he's yawning a bit, isn't he? He's, he's jolted awake. You know, he's, he's yeah. not as passive as he was two hours, 43 minutes before, you know, he's mastered,
1: he's mastered
0: the voice and he's killed his first man. For sure. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Josh, uh, I know people, if they would like to, can go online and and read your full review, but can you give us a little synopsis uh, on your initial thoughts as well?
2: I can read out my review for you. Do it in your (laughs) internal monologue voice. (laughs) You put enough work
1: into it, you may as well.
2: Well, Rob kind of called it a drama, which I agree with, but I would go one step further and say it's a coming-of-age drama. It's very much centred on Paul and his mother, and it's centred on, you know, he starts out as this sort of... um, sort of slightly morose kind of uh isolated teenager he's kind of seemingly doesn't really want to engage with much like he's too he's too tired to fight today you know all that kind of stuff and then you see Mm. the things that forge him into uh, the kind of warrior that could hold his own against a freeman so i think that's what gripped me about it was the fact that i love coming of age stories there's just something about them that i just find Mm. so Joyful, and this does it brilliantly Um, and just just like the spectacle of it is is sort of spectacular you know it's definitely Denis Villeneuve's biggest film and he's made some big films and for me this felt like the original Blade Runner in terms of its artistry and in terms of what it has the potential to do for sci-fi you know not everybody loves Blade Runner the Ridley Scott film I know Rob isn't a huge fan but in terms of uh, you know as as a piece of art it's flawless um yeah and I think that this film does something similar but actually has the emotional depth that maybe Blade Runner may lack yeah I just think it's I think it's fascinating I think that it's it's big and 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 sort of epic but also sort of small as well like it, it doesn't It doesn't mind having moments of silence. You know, we meet Paul, he doesn't really say that much. You know, he kind of, we just have moments with him that are quite quiet in the film. And even though it is about spectacle and there are these amazing operatic shots where all that's happening is a a craft emerging from a lake, that's Mm -hmm. all that's happening. But there's just such a weight to it that feels sort of gorgeous and lovely and and sort of... Mm -hmm you're being completely absorbed into this world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just thought it, I just thought it's fantastic and I I will watch it again in a heartbeat. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I I I've only been able to to watch it the once and I I can't wait to see it again. I want to go back and see it in theaters. Um my boyfriend was supposed to come with us when we saw it um but he was feeling sick this week so we opted not to come and he watched it at home. Um and he enjoyed it fine, but I'm like, "Oh, we need to go see it in a theater, like it's going to be such a different experience, like so I definitely mm. want to watch it again, and I'm sure I'll watch it. Um, you have to see it big. Yeah, absolutely. I don't
0: know how anyone could watch this for the first time on the small screen. It is it is such a cinematic experience to sit there <laughs> in the dark and see it on the big screen. It is made for the big screen. I can't believe they put it out on HBO. Yeah. Was it HBO Max? Yeah. I can't believe they put it out on that. What a ridiculous choice. Yeah.
1: And they've done that. That's That That was a 2021 yeah. Um like agreement with WB and HBO, I'm assuming.
3: It wasn't an agreement. It was just a decision because HBO is owned by Warner, which is owned by AT&T and they just decided. They were
1: <laughs> yeah, doing it. exactly. And then there's been a lot of talk too. with like, I think Denny even came out and like wrote some sort of opinion piece about just the disappointment in that. Yeah. Um, and when Timmy hosted SNL almost a year ago, he wore a legendary picture sweater that was kind of seen as a, a nod to supporting the production company and not the distributor. Um but yeah Josh I loved what you were saying about the coming age coming of age story and how the focus is on relationships because um in a weird way I was watching it I I kept being reminded of Lady Bird because one of the things I love so much mm-hmm. about Lady Bird is each interaction each interaction between a character and another character feels so yes. lived in and feels mm-hmm. so genuine and like those people have known each other for such a long time and um you know just between I mean, obviously Paul and Lady Jessica is kind of the the focal one, at least for me. But any any moment Paul has with um Duke Leto, any moment between Lady Jessica and Duke Leto. Um obviously um Paul has interesting relationships with Gurney and with um uh Duncan Idaho, the most ridiculous character name ever in a sci fi movie by a, an absolute mile.
2: <laughs> and only Jason Momoa could ever play him as well.
1: Exactly. And and even even this very there's a very small beautiful moment no. where Paul greets um, the character played by Stephen McKinley Henderson, who he was in Lady Bird with, and it just each each character interaction is so genuine, and I just love mm-hmm. as much as I love the Marvels and the Star Wars, mm-hmm. and I think those movies do a good job of developing character relationships. You just don't have that mm-hmm. mi- like micro level introspection of character relationships, and in a movie that is so overpowering and awesome in every sense of the original meaning of the word awesome to have these small character moments gives you such an emotional investment in what's going on.
3: I mean that breakfast table scene, like that's, that's a prime example of understanding the dynamic between Jessica and Paul as mother and son and teacher pupil. Um, And also the fact that there is, there is a, a warmth, to both of those relationships. And that's not in the original book, is it? No, I don't think so. There are no. moments, but that scene is not in the book. No. Though.
0: Cause they've had to flesh out Jessica.
3: They fleshed her out. Well, you get a lot more Jessica later in the book, mm. but I mean, the book essentially opens with the, um, the box, the Gom Jabbar. Yeah.
1: Well, let's use that as a transition mm. to get into the Timothy Chalamet of it all, which is, you know, the point of this whole, uh, podcasting endeavor that,
3: so you want to get into Timothy Chalamet's box.
0: There's no pain in there.
3: <laughs> I would like
1: to <laughs> respectfully get into Timothy Chalamet's box. <laughs> if you put it
0: in,
2: you can't take it out again <laughs> or you'll die.
1: Um, I accept. <laughs> I I, I'm, I don't want to say I'm hesitant to get into the Timothy Chalamet of it all. I'm I'm still working through my thoughts because I want to say foundationally, point blank, I think he's great. I think he is Perfectly cast in this film. I think he is the Mm -hmm. exact right person to lead this kind of film, a film that balances actual dramatic performance and sci-fi epicness. I think that he is a great, like, arbiter of that. However, and this is by no fault of his own, anyone who has to perform a quote-unquote messiah or quote-unquote chosen one character arc is almost always going to be somewhat crushed under the weight of that. Um Luke Skywalker is not the most interesting character in Star Wars. Um, as perfectly rounded and um sculpted as Chris Evans' ass is. He is not the most interesting That's
0: character. America's ass. Thank you very much.
1: That is America's ass. absolutely. Even Daisy Ridley in the new Star Wars films is incredible, but you never you never leave those movies and think about the lead performance because it's just there's so much there there. And I think that while Timothy is great. I don't leave it and have him top of mind. And and I am trying not to, co- I'm, that is not a criticism. I, I think he is phenomenal. And I, I wanted to get into it because I think the box scene is just, the shades of emotion you see him go through are absolutely incredible. I just wanted to get kind of the bummer part out of the way, which is anyone who has tasked with leading a movie this large ultimately has to know that he or she will be overshadowed by everything going on.
0: Speaking to someone that's seen it three times, mm-hmm. twice this weekend, the third time I saw it, that's when I felt like I had managed to break through the the surface, I guess. Um, 2001 The Space Odyssey is one of my favorite films, but it was not my favorite film when I first saw it it is slightly impenetrable Mm -hmm. and you have to see it multiple times and in different locations. You can't just watch it at home. You've got to go see it at the cinema. You've got to see it with a live orchestra and 60-piece voice choir. You need to see it in Mm -hmm. these different versions to, to sort of see it from a different angle. Seeing Dune 2021 three times has allowed me to let some stuff sink in and then see brand new stuff on each subsequent screening. So by the time I saw the third screening, I felt like I'd gotten to a good place with this. It is very layered. And so much so that Timothy Chalamet's performance is very layered. I, I think he is mm-hmm. genuinely, I think his acting ability has stepped up. He's already a phenomenal actor. He's obviously an actor that needs direction because his performance in the rainy day in yeah. New York is shoddy. Um, that that's obviously on Woody Allen, but also on the terrible script. The script for Dune is pitch mm-hmm. perfect. It is so pitch perfect, and that box scene is up mm-hmm. there. But equally, the tent scene later on that is up there, and it's all Chalamet And even just even just inconsequential moments like when him and Jessica yeah. are in the thopter and the wings are falling off and he's taking control that's up there as well because it's all chalamet and the fight scene that's all chalamet i think the more you see this version of dune the Mm. more you realize that it is all chalamet and he is the most interesting character because Mm -hmm. a he's timothy chalamet and b that's what they've done with this version of paul so Yes, Timothy Chalamet is a fantastic actor, but he's bolstered by everything else being A+. So the more you watch it, the more you realise that Mm -hmm. he is the most interesting character. And it does come down to his performance, but it takes a couple of watches to crack through that surface.
2: Well, it takes something to to Mm. keep the audience's attention when you've got all this other beautiful stuff going on, even if it's just the fact that the sets are gorgeous, um, you know, you're always drawn back to him because he's just got this really interesting sort of chemistry going on where he's sort of outwardly vulnerable, but then he just has a strength going on at the same time, but also sort of really intelligent. You, you, You really believe that he is somebody who's been sort of, coached or trained Boy, by dude. his mother to be the whatever it's called the <laughs> hand of god or you know whatever they call it in the film The
3: <laughs> yeah that one
2: they i mean it just rolls yeah, off the tongue so doesn't so it cool.
3: <laughs> it's a performance that is where timmy as paul is is the hub in which all of these other performances are the spokes for this wheel where everything really does go around him everything is related everything's towards him or about him whether or not that force of action is about him or what that actor is doing it all is about what paul is doing yeah, that makes and perfect what sense. paul is going to do next yeah.
1: and i think that when that is the mm-hmm. focal you know center point to use your narrative will of any film you get i don't want to say distracted but mm-hmm. because that is going to be the through line and the consistency when these other characters get peppered in like Jessica or his father, or when the Baron has like his few scenes, like you're it, it, there's a newness and an, an intriguingness. Cause we know Paul's going to be there and we're going to watch his story go. I think on a first blush, mm-hmm. it's easy to follow those other kind of shorter um, presences and screen times because, you know, Paul's going to be there throughout the whole film. So I, I agree with you, Rob, I think on subsequent viewings, it's really going to sink in how much, Chalamet is doing and how focal he is to everything that's going on in the success of Dune. Like it's you know we can we can hammer the score in a good way, we can talk about the set design, we can praise all of these things but if Paul doesn't work the movie doesn't work.
0: Mm. It's cuz he's a very poetic actor and it's a very poetic yeah exactly it's a very poetic cere- cerebral film. He is perfect casting. Mm-hmm. I can't see anyone else matching him beat for beat any other young actor out there
1: yeah
2: yeah you couldn't see tom holland doing this because tom holland has a very different kind of energy going on
1: yeah
3: with with the way that paul is as a character and the way paul is written you you're you're going to come away thinking about other actors because the other actors are there is more charm to yeah. their characters. Like Duncan Idaho is charming. Mm-hmm. Like Gurney Halleck with his kind of stubborn militarism is charming.
0: But did you do not find Paul charming at all? He's sort of, you know, he is, he is basically an emo loner, isn't he?
3: He, oh no, he is, he is charming, but he's not as charismatic. Because he's always just like being pulled in all of these directions.
0: But maybe that's a that's a choice. He, I don't think he can mm. be charismatic to start with, because that's got to come later. Yeah. Oh no, I don't. I don't think he should be.
1: I mean, I I, I think to go back to Josh's point, in a coming of age story, whoever we're watching coming of age is famously not fully formed. We're watching Paul figure out who he is, mm. and he is surrounded by people who know who they are. Lady Jessica knows who she is. Duke Leto knows who he is. Duncan Idaho and Gurney, they all know who they are and what their roles are in this universe. Paul is the one character who doesn't. So we're watching him figure out who he is. And I think when, I think when we're saying charismatic, it's these people are are solid in who they are. And while Timmy is charismatic and can carry this film, on his talent and his bone structure, mm-hmm. the character of Paul <laughs> has yet to be charismatic, I think. Yeah.
3: And and the nature of what part two will be is Paul learning more about who he is and everyone else learning less about who they thought they were. Interesting.
2: <laughs> so not to jump ahead too much, but do you think that um, obviously they made part one without part two being greenlit? And that seems like a risk, but is it actually so that Timmy can grow up a little bit and he can age up slightly into part two so that they can play around with something a bit different?
3: The thing is, most of part two is still within the same kind of time until you reach a certain point where you do a leap that is just two years ahead. Mm -hmm. So you don't see an old Paul. You see a 17-year-old Paul who is really leading yeah charge.
1: and i think i mean if we're yeah. gonna go strictly timeline wise if it's a two-year jump there's a very realistic world where dune part two comes out in 2023 which is two years later so the time jump does make sense mm, but yeah. but josh i mm-hmm. like that point because so interesting in this age of star wars and marvel where a trilogy or a sequel is almost mm. so guaranteed that they are greenlit together and even sometimes shot together the example mm-hmm. i always think about are pirates of the caribbean dead man's chest and at world's end were shot together over the course of like yeah. a year because they knew they were going to make them and it cool. just made sense to have the sets built and they didn't have to tear them down etc cetera, etc cetera. dune not having part two greenlit is kind of an anomaly in that sense even though there is no guarantee of success for dune part one i think they take the swing because mm-hmm. i mean the title card opens with dune part one they end it on a very we're in the middle of our story moment so I think Mm -hmm. that they are they were acting as if but that is such not a given in our current uh filmmaking world for a movie that doesn't have that well I guess it's it's unfair to say it doesn't have built-in IP because there is Dune is IP but it is not Star Wars it is not Marvel it is still a calculated financial risk so
2: it's not going to make a billion dollars you know like it's not going to Every Marvel film pretty much makes a billion now. Whereas Dune yeah. has no guarantee of
0: anything really. Yeah. But theatrically we're in a very different situation. Not as many people are going to the cinema. Like last night was a yeah. Saturday night screening and it it wasn't even ten percent full in the screen I saw it
3: in. Right. Wow, that is actually shocking.
0: What I found interesting is a couple of rows behind me there was like a row of Eight young teenagers cool. who were obviously coming to see the new Timothy Chalamet action movie, and down at the front, there was also a row of about five or six similar-age kids who they were all restless throughout because they probably weren't expecting mm-hmm. a cerebral mm-hmm. thinking movie. And as as the as the credits rolled and the kids behind me started walking out, I heard one of them say. And I don't know where she got this fucking chutzpah to say this sort of shit. But she said, the Lord sends us these movies to test our patience. (laughs) Oh, fuck you, bitch. (laughs) But that's worrying. That's worrying because if that's their reaction on the first watch, there's nothing that makes them come back for a second watch. And if they're not coming back for a second watch... Warner Brothers are not going to be inclined to say, "Let's bankroll another one."
3: Yeah, they. Yeah, I just looked up. They. It was a. It was a forty million dollar weekend in the states. Yeah, over there or worldwide in, in, in the America.
2: US, okay, Bank. in Canada. Yeah, I think worldwide it's on about one hundred seventy million, which is half. The, That's pretty healthy. Half their spend, basically. So,
1: looking looking at what's reported, the production budget is reported to be around. 165 million um, according to wikipedia famously reliable um thus far worldwide it has grossed uh 221 million
0: but then you have to you have to chuck another 100 million for pna
1: right which i think that i think that yeah. whether this was officially confirmed or this is just rumblings i want to say that i read that wb needs at least 300 million to to feel good about box office because obviously here in the states it's available on hbo max so they're going to be paying attention to things like streaming which you know streaming services famously don't talk about um kind of what their statistics and everything look like but
0: oh and they do when they they do when it benefits them like they're always saying squid Game's been seen in 184 million households or afterlife has got streamed 80 million times yeah so it suits them when they when they need it yeah
1: but I think I think with Dune, it's going to be a lot of
0: But $300 million, that's a low bar in today's world. Yeah. I've got a feeling that it's going to
2: have been greenlit by the time this episode I think so, too. Airs. I've yeah, just I'm got a feeling they're going to sure. do like a real sort of Un- like media... I'm
3: guessing it was greenlit before print was sent to theaters. Yeah,
2: they just haven't announced it yet. The print? You mean the, uh, the external hard drive?
3: They wouldn't have put a part one on the title card if it wasn't a... a... I mean, work
2: is happening yeah. on the sequel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, there is a treatment, there's a script. Yeah, one of the room. writers,
1: um, John Spatz, if I'm pronouncing that name correctly, he was actually, I believe, supposed to be the showrunner on, uh, there's going to be an HBO Max series called Dune, the Sisterhood, which is based on, yeah. um will say it for me so I don't uh, butcher it, The what's the female? The
3: Bene Gesserit?
1: I'm not sure if any, any of the cast are going to be in it, but he left showrunning that show in order to work on the script for Dune Part 2, so... Josh, I think you're right. I think for all, for all intents and purposes, part two is coming. They're just, you know, they're, they're just edging us on mm. a, on an announcement. And I think that they're just waiting mm. for good press. They were waiting for the good reviews. They were wait. I mean, even though, uh, Rob, I, I, I worry about what, like what you were saying about younger kids maybe not finding it like action packed enough because it's not a Marvel or a Star Wars in this. And I don't know if CinemaScore is just a U.S. thing, but it got like an A minus from CinemaScore, which, Pretty much if you're, like, an A- minus or above, that's pretty... So Cinema Score, if you guys don't know, is this, like, audience testing thing where regular audiences come out of movies and they ask for, like, a score from, like, A to F. And I think it's supposed to be more indicative of what word of mouth is going to sound like because, you know, a movie can be a huge critical hit, but that might just be, like, hoity-toity film critics being like, oh, this is amazing, and then, you know the the regular plebeians aren't going to find it as as enthralling or interesting. Yeah. So for Dune to get an A minus, I think is pretty indicative of good word of mouth. And I want to say even with all of the factors, including it's streaming on HBO Max, we're still living in the midst of a pandemic. Um, we all there's a big question mark on the future of theaters. Dune yeah. is Denis Villeneuve's biggest opening weekend of his career, and he's made some big movies. So I mean, yeah. I feel like all signs are pointing. Well, forward. I
0: heard this week. A Warner Brothers executive say we're really happy with the Daniel Daniel Veneuve film, but for the next one we're gonna honor the David Lynch vision. <laughs> no, oh, no, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Was that you talking to yourself in the mirror? Yeah, I did it as Daniel Veneuve. I want to make the David Lynch
1: Vision. What is the what is the version of them shooting June part two? where George Lucas came to the set of The Mandalorian, and then that photo came out of him holding Grogu. What is, like, the Lynch photo that you want to see from the set of Dune Part Two, Rob? Mm.
3: I want to see. He's he's kissing (laughs) David Lynch. He's
1: kissing Javier Bardem.
3: (laughs) He's there,
0: and they've got a behind-the-scenes camera crew on him, and he's walking around going, wow, wow, this is great. And then he cuts himself off. And he walks over and doesn't say anything to anyone. And he starts painting one of the caves a particular blue (laughs) because he's obsessed. He's like, finally, finally, I can get my blue cave! (laughs) And he doesn't have to worry about the budget or the schedule.
1: (laughs) I really want him to be invited to the set of Dune Part 2, and I want him to show up with Um, what was the stunt he pulled where he wanted to get Laura Dern nominated for Inland Empire, and he like sat? Oh, with the cow. He sat outside (laughs) with a cow and a giant "For Your Consideration" sign. I want him to bring that exact setup to Dune Part Two. Sit and just watch, and I want a press photo of that.
0: Well, if he does do that, then the cow will have to be wrapped up upside down, like the cow was in his version of Dune when. The, the nephew walked in and ripped the face off and ate it. But, I would like him to reprise his role as Headset Worker Man in his version of Dune, but I want that character that character to get his own spin-off, actually. should get his own Mandalorian-style
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. So, So they can simultaneously debut Dune the Sisterhood and Dune Headset Worker? <laughs> yeah. Well, Do we have any closing final thoughts on Dune before we move into uh, the Peach ratings?
2: Oh yeah, I'm excited about this. See it.
0: Just go and see it. I
2: just have to say that I find it really interesting that there was this weird synergy between Villeneuve and Timmy, where when Villeneuve was writing the script, he was picturing timothy chalamet and he had no other options in his mind and so he was secretly thinking i really want this kid to play this role he's going to be amazing meanwhile timothy chalamet hears that june is being made and he's like i better fucking i want to play this role i need to get in there so every time he bumped into denis villeneuve he was like oh hi again and hi (laughs) you know like really making himself known and it wasn't until they had a meeting in Cannes where they just decided to work together that it kind of all of that came together, but I just love that they were separately both thinking the same thing. It's Chalamet
0: has actually perfect. auditioned for manifest. the role in Prisoners, the um, the young, the young kid, um, Hugh Jackman's son. The, oh, The really? role that eventually oh, went really? to um, the kid from Don't Breathe and Thirteen Reasons Why. That kid.
1: Oh, Dylan, Dylan something.
0: Yeah, don't know his name.
1: He's like
2: name. Dylan. Yeah, Muck, um, Muck something
0: or other. interesting so he he he'd cross paths with denier veneuve Mm. yeah he was on his
2: radar well
1: i liked your point of manifesting because it makes me think of that clip i want to say it was i don't remember if it was the 2019 or 2020 it was one of the oscars and there was a great clip of amy poehler and maya rudolph like coming down the escalator at the kodak theater and timothy was right behind them and maya rudolph kind of like recognizes it's him and she turns around and goes you love my husband because that was like right when you know anytime, anytime they were like asking who <laughs> Timothy wanted to work with, he would say like Paul Thomas Anderson. So he was very much like manifesting being cast probably in Licorice Pizza, which obviously didn't happen. But he really is a he really is a young actor who kind of drops breadcrumbs.
3: Maybe maybe he's maybe maybe he's a surprise. Role I would love in that.
1: that. I would love that. Mm. All right. Well, Josh is excited about the peaches, so let's get into the peaches uh just a reminder we are going to rate the movie uh timothy's performance his attractiveness and his hair uh all on a scale from one to five peaches um and just you know a little faq when it comes to the peaches you can do half peaches you can do uh negative peaches i guess we've opened it up to go above five peaches when it comes to various performances in love actually so i'll let that stand here i suppose um But we'll start with rating the movie, and I'll I'll go first, and then I'll pass it. Rob, Will, Josh, just to kind of keep things consistent. Um, But really, as I said, this is my favorite movie of the year so far. I was completely bowled over by it. Uh, I can't wait to see it again. I can't wait to talk about it for years and years to come. Uh, It's a five out of five peaches for me. What say you, Rob?
0: I can't wait to get it on Blu-ray. Five out of five peaches. Cannot wait to own this. Well, not own it I'll own the physical thing that the file is loaded upon, and I don't own the i p but I will physically own something in the house that looks like dune that isn't the book uh, Five Of pages. course. a little
1: probably physical piece of Guardian. media perfect mm-hmm. exactly all right what about you will
3: i'm i'm gonna give it i'm gonna give it four um knowing that I know that will probably creep up once there's part two yeah. Like, with within context of of the full
1: journey. Saying the thing about part two that time, Will, made me think about how one of the things I thought about was this movie was the I, in the in in the future when we have part one and part two and people can watch them back to back. I think that's almost what this movie was made for. We're living in this weird liminal space where it's the year or two before part one and two because now we look back on Lord of the Rings and we see the full trilogy as opposed to the very brief moment in time when we just had Fellowship of the Ring, even though we knew they were all being filmed. Um, so yeah, I think that as we get part two, um, there will even be like a cultural reassessment on on part one and anyone who had any pacing issues. So I just wanted to throw that in there really quick as a thought that I had. Josh, please, Peaches, give us the rating.
2: Peaches! That, yeah, that is the reason I'm giving it four Peaches um when i left the cinema i was like five peaches five peaches all the way but then after sort of reassessing and putting my thoughts together it it doesn't feel complete without the next part so it's four peaches for now but i could see it becoming a five peach film
3: and my god it's going to be a great day to do a double double feature
0: yeah 100 percent. that's like a new year's day chill out I went into the I went in with the expectation of knowing that it was only a part one, so that hasn't coloured my enjoyment. Mm-hmm. You know, hasn't hasn't knocked down my my peach count at all. It's funny that it would it would knock a peach off. But you knew it was part one. It said that, and we all knew it was part one.
1: I I can see the conversation going both ways. I think where I fall on the part one versus part two ness yeah. of it all is when it ended, I fully could have taken two more hours in the seat that I was in. Like, I wasn't like, I need to go relax. Like, I was like, if this were to just keep going, I would be so in, don't need a break, What like, I'm good to go. So while I can totally see and recognize the pacing issues and the, the part one-ness of it, because I left so ready for part two, I guess I just didn't, it didn't seep into my brain in that same way.
0: You may get your wish because there are rumblings of a special edition director's cut. There will be longer. And... Well, this is like... I guess this is the version but That means this isn't the director's cut. But in the trailer, mm. yeah. the, there's a slightly different bit from the box of pain scene where he actually screams pain. That's not in
3: That's true. the version we've seen. So... Well, we also... We also see Charlotte Rampling's face. Like, she's mm. not veiled in the trailer. Mm. So I think it's just oh, a different version. Mm-hmm. I think what's in the movie is more effective. But uh, I I was thinking, yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah. that is a very. And I haven't rewatched the trailer, but that is a very different box of pain. Yeah, and
0: I'm perfectly fine with them. I'm perfectly fine with them keeping out the, the pain scream. <laughs> <laughs> like mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm hmm yeah
3: well, and then it well I think it and I think that the way it's done with Jessica in
1: his ear
3: just tightens yeah. that Agreed. connection too
1: all right, well, let's jump to rating timmy's performance, so obviously, as I nodded my hat to earlier, I felt at times like while Timothy was great he he could be somewhat hindered by the weight of so much going on. So, I will give his performance in this movie four peaches with the giant peach asterisk that I think that will go up on multiple viewings. I just unfortunately did not have time to watch it for a second time. So, as it stands now, I'm going with four peaches for the performance. Mm-hmm. Um please Timothy Chalamet stan community don't comment me for that. I'm just giving my truth. I think mm-hmm. it is an incredible performance. There was just so much to take in that there were times when I couldn't focus on his perfectly structured, beautiful face, which is so hard to fathom. But when you're in a Dolby theater and Denis Villeneuve is just throwing visual after visual at you, sometimes you forget about um, the twink that you started a whole podcast about. So it's four four Peaches performance for me. Uh, Rob, what about you?
0: I'm actually going to go for six Peaches because I think it's such a phenomenal performance. That Box of Pain scene is... Phenomenal! The the tent scene is brilliant. He's just he's a master of his craft, and it's scary because he is only twenty five. Can you imagine what is more to come? Can you imagine what we're going to get in the next ten, twenty years? I think he's only going to get better. I just hope he doesn't do a a Robert De Niro.
1: Agree, and I I. Have- I am going to officially invoke the sixth peach and title it the Emma Thompson, uh, the Emma Thompson mythical sixth peach <laughs> as it is as created in her name from her wonderful work in Love Actually. So um, for those keeping score at home, peach. this is only this is only the second appearance of the mythical Emma Thompson sixth peach, one for her performance in Love Actually and now uh, as Rob's designation of peaches uh, for Timmy's performance. In Dune, so congratulations to Timmy on that. I'm sure it is his most uh treasured and honored accolade that he's received thus far in his career. Uh Will he has gone Timmy's full performance. Thompson. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna roll with a four and a half. Great.
3: Nice I think with with the what he's doing on his own and what he's doing in each specific relationship is just fabulous.
1: Agree. Josh, what say you?
2: I say five. Five peaches. Full, full set. Very charismatic. Denevil nerve says that he has tremendous charisma, and I agree. <laughs> Brilliant.
1: Well, if you had told me I'd be coming in here with the lowest Timothy performance <laughs> peach rating, I wouldn't have believed you. But here we are. Crazy things happen every day. Uh, like I said, I'm sure. I'm sure it's only going to rise in my estimation, but that's where I'm at for the moment. All right, let's get into the good stuff. Now we're going to rate timothy's attractiveness on a scale from one to five peaches um to no one's shock or surprise i'm gonna go with five i'm still too hesitant to invoke the mythical six emma thompson peach because it's still new to me but i'm I'm gonna go with five because that's where i'm comfortable right now um he is so hot in this movie he is so goddamn attractive um there are just shots where his Bone structure that was cut from fine Italian marble and beautiful <laughs> diamond crystal crystal shapes just pierced through the screen. I didn't need to see it in three D to feel like that chin was just gonna slice my fucking face open. Um, just and then Love the and wind pain. blowing. I mean, we're gonna get into his hair, so I don't want to get I don't want to get too much into the hair, but like just the way the wind was moving his hair and his body and just. God, the shot where he was like getting out of bed, and he was just as oh, muscly yeah. as he can be, which is not very <laughs> muscly at all. Um, between this and French Dispatch, it's a great weekend. I saw this tweet: "It's a great weekend for movies with jokes about Timothy Chalamet's lack of muscles." Um, <laughs> yeah, he's he's incredibly hot in Dune. Five out of five peaches. Uh, Rob, what do you have to say?
0: I'm a sucker for a guy in military military style. Daywear. <laughs> I think he looks great. All? His eyebrows have come into their own as well. Drinking reconstituted sweat and urine. Hot. <laughs> yeah, that's, 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 that's a bit disgusting. Like, and even he even makes the, the nose <laughs> thing look good. Like, no one looks good with a nose thing. Usually that's reserved for old people on the bus with an oxygen tank. He's made that <laughs> nose thing, like, he's made that work. I didn't even notice it. But yeah he, he made he, it style he's matured in his mm-hmm. his face you know the hair is great I know we're going on to the hair in a second but the eyebrows and yes he wakes up he sleeps exactly as I want him to sleep <laughs> he looks brilliant <laughs> he does look but what's interesting is they didn't make no. him beef up for this role mm-hmm. that
3: would have been to a detriment and to... it's the right decision. Yeah, exactly
0: agreed. because he's meant to be this this youngster right his his attractiveness isn't what carries him even though he is phenomenally good looking it's his performance if you had someone 10 years ago this was made 10 years ago we'd be talking about a Zach Efron movie <laughs> and it oh would be a very different but it would be a very different conversation because it would literally be how many times can we have Zach Efron topless in the desert
1: it's so hot Totally. This isn't
0: a gratuitous male gaze film.
1: Uh, Rob, did I hear a peach rating in there? Um, It sounds like a five, but I want to just get it on record.
0: Oh, it's always a five.
1: Okay. Perfect.
0: Always a five when it comes to Timmy.
3: (laughs) Will? Uh, I mean, I think I see no fault. Uh, I'll I'll give it five. You know, the military uniform, the casual tunic. um, I think the The construction and design of the still suit works really well on his tiny body, and I think it's, is too, uh, it is to. It looks good on him. He he's able to wear it well, and yeah, he's he's looking more and more like an adult, which is more appealing to me. As A beautiful boy is an growing adult.
1: up, oh. sure. I'm gonna take that not as a dig at me just because it sounded like one we'll move on quite
3: a bit older so
1: (laughs) sure uh josh what say you when it comes to timmy's attractiveness
2: yeah uh i think he is it's sort of miraculous the way he can pull off wearing a dusty like military onesie um and that i love the uh (laughs) i love the long coat like he looks like he's a rock star He's kind of styled like a rock star. That's a. Um,
1: I want to wear that. I want that coat.
0: <laughs> with that big buckle I, bell.
2: On is those this gloves. the coat? Is
1: this the coat when he's looking out?
0: Yeah, it's the one he's wearing when he goes to find Leto. Leto is um, looking at the dad's grave, and he's walking along the 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 coast. Yeah, of it looks like he's about to break out
2: into. I want to
1: say when this when this still came out i want to say my reaction was kylo ren found him yeah because timothy has reclaimed space black uh, costumes yeah um, yeah he he looks he looks incredible yeah. there all right we've been teasing it we got to get to it we got to talk about it we got to talk about the hair all right clears throat>, Clear his throat i have been famously on record as saying my favorite timothy hair is ladybird and I now bid a fond farewell to the era of my life when that was my favorite Timothy hair, because Dune, Part One, 2021, has the greatest use of Timothy Chalamet's hair <laughs> in any cinematic appearance it has made. We get it slicked back. We get it in his face. We get it with the wind blowing. We get it just the, the we get it in sunlight. We get it in darkness. It is just there. The the journey. The journey that Paul Atreides goes on to become the Messiah. Great. Beautiful. Love it. Give me more. Can't wait to see the conclusion in part two. The journey that Timothy Chalamet's hair goes on in Dune part one. Epic. Its own religious text should be written on the subject. His hair looks so fucking good in this movie. It literally makes me want to light myself on fire. Um, I am confident. I am confident enough to invoke the mythical sixth emma thompson peach and say this hair is six out of five peaches for me it is incredible it is my favorite thing in the entire world
0: wow you've gone full you've given it full thompson
1: it's it it was a full thompson for me
0: (laughs) (laughs) um is it me next yeah
1: it's you next i don't know how you're gonna follow that but it's you next
0: so i agree with everything you said absolutely agree with everything you said there are three moments in this film where i thought they've got three different things from the same haircut it starts off slightly pushed back not slipped back like the oscars when he wore that amazing prada um bomber jacket mm-hmm. tuxedo you know it's not full slipped back it's not um it's not Jamie Lee Curtis, like yeah. yeah. True face. It's a bit more it's just yeah. off his face. Then he has the sort of flopped forward, yeah. early '90s Johnny Depp center yeah. parting, and when it's in that mode, he has this curl that sort of loops up and sort of frames his eye, which I noticed on every single viewing, and then he has it all the wind sweat in his face concealing his eyes just mm. great use of hair it tells a story great use it? of hair cuz he's known for his hair and and it can his hair, hair. tells a story his hair is his hair might be considered a <laughs> greater storyteller than william shakespeare
3: the way you describe his hair i wonder if that's why he looks so good with the still suit hose in his nose because there's so much mm. of of black curls going around his face that it just seems it doesn't seem unnatural. It looks like a
0: a natural extension. Yes. Maybe. I think you've hit upon Secret Something Formula. There. Yes. His obviously his hair is such a, mm-hmm. a brand and we joked on the last time we did a pod together that um that he would have to insure it when he got his hair cut for the king. They would have had to have been a representative from the insurance company yeah. to make sure that it wasn't going to be in breach of policy. To have that amazing mane of hair and to have it so versatile, that is, and for me, I'm going to revoke the Thompson. It gets six peaches, <laughs> peach out of five please. Peaches. There's a lot of peaches. His hair has secrets and peaches.
1: <laughs> 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 Absolutely agree.
0: Just that, I love the curl as the frame's perfect I wish I could do that. I used to be able to do uh. that.
1: <laughs> well, Will, no pressure, but the, the mythical sixth Emma Thompson peach has been evoked twice. I want you to <laughs> tell your truth. I just want you to understand the precedent <laughs> that's been set. We can't go crazy. It's like too many Hollywood handshakes.
3: We can't if you, the more you use them, the less power they have. Um, I will give the hair. I will give the hair sure. a, a solid five. Um, okay, yeah, it's just Respect. it's very good hair, and we we don't we don't get any we don't get any facial hair in this, which is is I think appropriate. Um, Though I would love yeah. I would love I don't like Timmy with the time. Can you imagine the thought of Duke Leto being his father with that magnificent beard? And you look at Timmy, you are like, oh, I don't think he'll ever be able
1: to grow that. <laughs> 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 an unfair comparison yeah. all right josh what say you when it comes to hair
2: um it's possibly the most hair that you could ever see outside of anime i would say like anime <laughs> hair on a real person is kind of how i look at it um, and it's not a, and, and it's not
3: like a a character wig it's like that's hair
2: that's your real hair. I'd love to know how, how it how it happens. How many people <laughs> yeah. are involved in this? Or if it's just natural. Because if it's not if it's anything less than just natural, I think I'll be upset. Is how I feel.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean <laughs> I think it's it the most feels... natural
0: thing that's ever occurred on yeah, the Yeah, I face really of the planet. I really think it's true.
2: Yeah, I think it's just <laughs> like a unicorn. I unicorn think unicorn hair.
0: I think the I think there are direct lines between Timothy Chalamet's hair and the Big Bang.
1: <laughs> you might you might need to do a little a little digging on that one to confirm, but I think you're onto something.
0: Yeah. I think I think uh, just gut feeling. I'm not a scientist. I'm not. Guys, I'm not a scientist. You just know you can I feel think, the truth. Why are you wearing a lab coat, Rob? Um, <laughs> it's not a lab coat, actually. Uh it's my military uniform and that's my truth. I think there is almost an ungodly power wielded within the follicles of his beautiful hair mane. It is a mane.
1: I think it might be the missing yeah. link.
0: I don't even think we've seen the full potential <laughs> of his hair. I think that's yet to I come. feel like when he's asleep, it, it the kind hair. of... Well, hair, if you've seen... He has he is hair mudeep <laughs> and he is not yet woken up yeah. to his hair <laughs> Herr Mottadib. Herr Mottadib.
1: Herr Mottadib. His if, hair madib, hair madib, hair madib. if the set photos from don't look up are any indication uh we're about to have a real time with that wig so we'll just coast on the love and oh, appreciation yeah. of the dune hair, hair until we have to confront whatever atrocity <laughs> uh adam mckay has i would uh, like inflicted to know the i would like to
0: have a uh, a direct link i would like to have a direct link to the inner monologue of his hair. I'd like to know what the hair thinks of people staring at the hair all the time.
1: Well, it. Rob, in this new age of narrati- narrative narrative podcasts, I think you really hit hit a hit a nerve there. You need to create the 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 narrative podcast that is the inner monologue of <laughs> Timothy Chalamet's hair from the from the from the beginning of his life up until now. There's so much runway there.
0: Get me Aaron Sorkin now. <laughs> he will write it. <laughs> he just won't be allowed to direct it.
1: <laughs> no. Well, if Sorkin does it, we're only going to get like three monumental moments in hair history though. So we're really going to have to be like picky when it comes to which ones we let him we let him talk about.
0: That's perfectly fine. Three monumental moments of Timothy Chalamet's hair is better than none.
1: I agree. Well, I think that about covers it for uh this this grand return to form of chasing Chalamet, that's a little presumptive of me to say, but I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go with it anyway. Um, Josh and Rob, guys, thank you so so much for spending your Sunday with us. It was not only a pleasure to talk about Denis Villeneuve's Dune, but also David Lynch's Dune, which, for all its shoddy, shaggy messiness, is quite an enjoyable time. Uh, and nothing brings me more joy than to listen to Rob talk about how much he loves it. <laughs> so rob where can people find you on the internet
0: they can find us at torn Stubs pod that's on twitter and you won't find us anywhere else
1: perfect only place you need to be Mm -hmm. uh josh you want to give your book one more plug before we sign (laughs) off
0: sure
2: it's called the shadow Glass. it's out in march 2022 and it's pure 80s nostalgia if that's your jam then come check it out
1: order today and do you do you have a web presence you do you have a web presence you want to shout out as well
2: yeah you can find me on twitter at josh winning and i'm on instagram at joshua winning just to make it confusing um, my website is JoshuaWinning.com, but i mean who really visits websites these days
0: if people are interested in great photography then they can probably log on to many websites with great photography but also my instagram if they really want to have a look at some photography (laughs) at robert g underscore 1983 because i am the 1983rd robert g
1: (laughs) (laughs) well you can find me on twitter and instagram at the dane mcdonald uh the show is on twitter and instagram as well on twitter we are chalamet chasing and on instagram we are chasing chalamet uh, please consider giving us a rating and a review on iTunes after a a long pause away from the podcast feed due to the Timothy content drought. We'd love to get some new uh, some new listeners, some new eyeballs, and some new uh, eardrums, if that's the correct metaphor uh, on the show. So please consider giving give us, us a water. rating and review on Apple Podcasts. so We jump up there in the algorithm. Give us give us your recycled water, please. Uh, And as always, share this podcast with your friends, your family, anyone who you think might be interested in listening to Timothy content.
0: Get it to Emma Thompson. You must get this to Emma Thompson.
1: That is the priority. Before I want Timothy to discover the podcast, I'd want Emma Thompson first. (laughs) That is that has always been the mission from the beginning, whether people realize it or not. Chasing Chalamet is written, hosted, and produced by me, Dane McDonald. The show is also produced and edited by Will Bybee. Our theme music is by Jacob Horn. You can hear more from him and his band, the Jacob Horn Trio on Spotify, Apple Music, and Bandcamp. And as always, our beautiful cover art was designed by Jessica Deal. You can find more of her work at JessicaDeal.com. Deal is spelled D-E-A-H-L. And until next time, later.